I invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, it's also uh, in your bulletin, uh, 2 Kings 6. And again, you read that right. We're in 2 Kings 6 today. Uh, not a passage uh, or a part of the Bible necessarily we get into a lot, uh, but it is God's word. And as we turn to 2 Kings 6, I, I want to ask you a question. And the question is, when was the last time that you misplaced something? When was the last time that you misplaced something? I don't know about you, but I feel like I lose little things all the time. For me, the thing that I tend to lose the most or misplace the most is my keys. Uh, at our house, we're, our kids seem to be misplacing things a lot as well. For our uh, two- and four-year-old girls, Ruby and Eliza, it's their loveys, but they call their blankies. Uh, one of them is called, actually called Blanky, and the other one is called Teddy Bear. And it seems like it's all, it never fails. It's at the moment of cri- emotional crisis or at bedtime when somebody is crying out for Blanky or Teddy Bear, and you can't find the things. Um, of course, I've also done things like helping friends you know, search for wedding rings that they lost when we were doing something outside. Uh, I think there's something about misplacing things that reveals the posture of our hearts in ordinary life. Have you ever noted, paid attention to how do you respond when you misplace something that you need? Uh, does your blood pressure start to rise when you misplace your favorite pen? Or do you start to get out of sorts when you're reaching in the medicine cabinet and you realize that your spouse has reorganized things and you, and you don't know where your medicine or whatever products are that you're looking for? Uh, what do you do in the course of ordinary life when you misplace something? Well, the Bible is, as one of the church fathers put it, God's love letter to the church. And as God's love letter to the church... The Bible covers a lot of big things, right? It, it speaks into our big questions, our deepest needs, our deepest hungers, um, our deepest places of shame and guilt. But as the Bible is God's love letter to his people, the Bible also speaks into the little things of our lives, the details of our lives, the ordinary commonplaces of our lives. And our passage in 2 Kings 6 is one of those ordinary places. And what, what I invite you to think about as we come to this passage is, what's your relationship to God like in the course of your ordinary life? Not your biggest highs or your biggest lows, but in the course of your ordinary, most mundane moments, and all the little ups and downs in those moments. Because we're looking at a passage that's really ordinary, but God has much for us to learn uh, from it. So hear God's word from Second Kings chapter 6 verses 1 through 7. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. And he answered, go. Then one of them said, be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. When they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a log, his axe head fell into the water and he cried out, Alas, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. And he said, Take it up. So he reached out his hand and took it. 
Please pray with me as we come to God's word. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for your love for your people. We thank you that you have uh, not left us to search for you, but that you've come for us, that you've pursued us, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. Open our eyes to the truth of your word and press its its power upon our hearts and our minds and our lives today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come to a passage like this, God has different reasons uh, for giving us different types of writing in the Bible. And this type of writing is a little bit unusual. Old Testament narrative, Old Testament history. uh, It's history with a theological point and purpose. And I think something we don't talk about enough in the church is how different types of passages in the Bible sometimes need to be preached a little bit differently, too, for us to kind of feel the force of them and be impacted by them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be breaking this passage down into a few different scenes. And at the end of each scene, I'm going to have a question for you. I'm going to have a little bit of a a life takeaway from that scene. Uh, And then at the very end, we're going to take all the application together uh, as a main idea and apply it to our lives. I'm going to warn you, I'm going to take these scenes out of order a little bit. And you can blame uh, this retired pastor, Dale Ralph Davis, uh, for this. He was really helpful for me grappling with this passage in one of his commentaries. And uh, if you want a readable commentary on Old Testament historical books, really recommend his books to you. Uh, But let's explore this passage and see what we find in it uh, about uh, how God is the God of the details of our lives. So the first thing we see, we have a background scene. In verses 1 through 2, we have a background scene. And it, it's interesting looking at where 2 Kings 6 lies in the book of 2 Kings. I'm not going to give you a uh, 2 Kings 101 overview. The Bible Project has great videos. If you're a video person, you want an overview of it. But in 2 Kings 4, the prophet Elijah has done some pretty weighty climactic miracles. Uh, in 2 Kings 5, there's this classic account of King Naaman being healed of leprosy. And at the end of 2 Kings 6, uh, we're going to find uh, God being at work in these big kind of geopolitical military conflicts that Israel is involved in. And tucked away in the midst of all this, in the midst of these great miracles, geopolitical conflict, and the role of God's people, is our little ordinary kind of weird passage today. And, And the sons of the prophet who are mentioned here are basically the prophet Elisha's associates. The sons of the prophet doesn't mean that they're the the biological descendants of the prophet, uh, but they're part of his discipleship circle. Uh, They're followers of the prophet. They're his uh, kind of associate pastors helping him, uh, learning from him. And they find themselves kind of in this love it or list it situation. Have you all seen the show, like, Love It or List It on HGTV? Right? It's like the, the prophets are with Elisha, and they're like, Man, you know, like, the place that we're meeting with you in, it's getting too cramped. Can, can we find a place with more space? It doesn't get that much more of a mundane, ordinary situation than that, right? But literally, the Bible is giving us these details of the sons of the prophet. They're, they're too cramped. We need to get more space. And so they get Elijah's permission to go to the Jordan River and to, to build a bigger dwelling so they can have their meetings with him. Uh, Elisha's participation in this is a big deal, and we're going to come back to this later. I'm going to skip what is actually the next scene in the passage, uh, verses 3 through 4. We're going to come back to it. So we're going to fast forward just a little bit. Hang with me. We're going to fast forward a little bit to the second scene 
of the narrative where we find the details of ordinary needs. The details of ordinary needs. Uh, and, and what we find is that the sons of the prophets kind of get themselves into this mundane but real problem, right? They're cutting down trees, and in verse 5, the axe head falls into the water. And then one of the sons of the prophet says, hey, Elisha, and it was borrowed. And one of the commentators points out there, there's kind of a, a, a twofold need here, right? First, there's a simple need of the axe head falling into the water. If you've ever been working on a project with your hands, uh, whether at work or at home, you know, it's just, it's an inconvenience, right, when what you're working with falls, gets misplaced. But then there's a little bit of a deeper need, a genuine need, that this axe head was a borrowed axe head. And I, I don't know what you think about axe heads in Israel, um, about how much value they have, but don't think about, like, a hatchet that you might buy from Walmart uh, or, you know, a tool store that might cost you like $15, the value of an accent like this was actually more comparable to like a really nice car. And to think about what might happen if you took your friend's really nice car out for a spin and you totaled the car and the car didn't have insurance on it. That's the situation that the sons of the prophet were facing here. That something kind of ordinary, but something of great value had been lost. Ordinary situation, misplacing something, an ordinary need. But when I return to my opening question, how do you respond spiritually when you find yourself in places of ordinary need? It might be the places of simple need. Maybe it's, yeah, the, the ordinary stress of misplacing something during the day. Maybe it's a spiritual need that just seems really basic. You're having a problem understanding a passage of the Bible. Uh, you're really short with your spouse or kids that day. Whatever it is, how do you respond in those situations of ordinary need? I think a way that we can kind of drill down into this spiritually is to ask yourself, what are the circumstances of ordinary need that you're willing to share as a prayer request with other believers or that you're willing to actually bring to God in prayer yourself? What are the situations that you're willing to share as a prayer request with, uh, in front of other believers? And what are the situations that you're actually willing to bring to God in prayer yourself? Uh, I've been either a leader, a co-leader, or involved in small groups probably over half of my life. I'll be 30, uh, 35 in July, so over half of my life I've had some kind of level of involvement in a small group. And I don't know about you, if you've ever noticed this dynamic, sometimes when the prayer request time comes up in small group, and sometimes like the, there's the invitation to share a prayer request, there's kind of crickets for a little bit at the beginning. Uh, maybe somebody finally breaks through with, you know, my Aunt Peggy uh, has stage 4 cancer. Or... Tom or Bobby shares about their emotional breakdown or the emotional breakdown in their family. And it becomes kind of crickets for everybody else where certainly those are important prayer requests. You want those prayer requests shared in a small group. But it's almost like sometimes we subtly kind of think, you know what, if I can't meet the level of that prayer request or kind of one-up that prayer request with something more serious, 
Do we share our, our prayer request that was on our hearts that day? Uh, a lot of times I would put money, we probably don't share our prayer requests in those situations. And again, this is not to put a guilt trip on anybody. If you have those situations, you need to ask for prayer for them. But one of the things I think it reveals about our hearts when we don't share those ordinary prayer requests is that subtly we start to think, do, do my ordinary needs, my ordinary spiritual, relational, financial, vocational needs, do those actually matter to God? And, and I wonder if you ever catch yourself, and I've heard this from students sometimes, saying, you know, I only pray to God about the big things. If I'm in trouble, I'll, I'll come to God. If, if it's a big enough need, right? But in the face of the rest of the Bible, God wants us to be open with him about all of our needs. He's always present to you. Uh, he's always inviting you to come before him as you are prompted to by the Spirit. Psalm 139, right, talks about uh, God's presence being with you wherever you go, that there is no place you can go where he is not. Uh, Paul invites us in 1 Thessalonians 5 to pray without ceasing, uh, to have a lifestyle, a heart posture oriented towards prayer. Uh, the Reformers talked about living life quorum Dea, living life before the face of God. So I wonder sometimes if we downplay the significance of our ordinary needs, if we start to say, put our ordinary needs in the spiritual box that says, eh, those things aren't for God, or those things aren't for Christian community. So what I want to ask my in-scene question for these verses is this, what do you believe about God as you encounter your daily needs? Uh, what's your experience of him? What's your posture towards him as you encounter your daily needs? Um, do you just kind of theologically uh, go, gloss over your ordinary needs, saying, well, you know, God is sovereign. I don't really need to take those things to him. Do you feel like they aren't important enough for him? Do you feel maybe disconnected from God or disconnected from other believers, and that's why you're not sharing your ordinary needs with him? But the... the the concluding point, the takeaway from this scene, is that the details of your life matter to God. The details of your life matter to God. Well, moving along, our next scene, verses 6 through 7, is unlikely help for the details. Unlikely help for the details. So, again, the sons of the prophets, they seek Elisha's help. And uh, it's, it's a pretty one of these wild passages in the Bible, right, what happens here. And it's been... Subject, apparently, to all different kinds of explanations. People trying to explain this naturalistically, uh, saying, like, you know, maybe Elisha just kind of poked around in the water and somehow the axe head just, like, floated up or something. Or this was just a purely legendary story uh, that was included in the Bible for some reason. People try to, to moralize this and find a connection to Jesus and uh, however they try to find that in this passage. But if you take the passage on its face, given the type of writing it is, you know, it's, it's pretty clear what happens. That the power of God was manifested through Elisha for this axe head that had floated, that had sunk in the water, to float out of the water so it could be retrieved by one of the sons of the prophets. That the axe head actually floats. Now, maybe you're here today, if you're not a Christian, you might think, wow, you guys really believe some crazy stuff. Floating axe heads? What's next? Well, 
of course, historically Christians have said, well, what's next is that actually we believe that uh, our Messiah, our Savior, was raised from the dead. And so if God can raise somebody from the dead, it's a pretty small deal for God to make an axe head float through a prophet, right? Because God is sovereign uh, over all circumstances and over all of creation, that he can do that. But raises the question, why is this story in the Bible? Why would this thing that actually happened be included in Scripture for us? Well, Davis writes in his commentary, if we don't believe correctly here, then the little problems, the small details, the insignificant matters will pile up, and we won't cast them on our Father, because surely he can't be bothered. This is such a small thing in some ways, right? An axe head is lost. But again, what's your axe head? What are your ordinary life situations that you've kind of handled on autopilot? And maybe spiritually, what's kind of stacked up? It, it makes me think of, uh, I don't know if you've ever had the situation in your household, we've had it in ours, where you go on a trip or something and you couldn't do laundry while you were there. And then you come back and you've got like three or four suitcases of laundry to do. And then everything has, then all the laundry uh, you know, kind of like, it just sits in there for a while because you're like, do we really want to do all this laundry today? We're kind of tired from travel. The laundry just stacks up, and maybe eventually you fold the laundry, and then it's like, when do we put the laundry away? And it's just there for day upon day, and you're like staring at that laundry. Not that it's ever happened in our house. But what I want you to consider, though, is spiritually, you know, what is the laundry of ordinary life? that you've just let pile up. I mean, it's just kind of sitting there. You walk by it every now and then. It, it's getting kind of wrinkled. <laughs> it's starting to smell bad a little bit, but you're just kind of ignoring it. What are the, the ordinary life situations that you're not taking to God for his help, that you're allowing to pile up? Because the invitation of this passage is to bring those situations to God. And uh, it would have been heard this way by the generation that... Uh, 2 Kings was written to. The generation that 2 Kings was written to uh, was the people of Judah who had been exiled to Babylon. And so there are people reading these accounts of what God was doing through the prophets um, after the people had experienced dispossession, losing everything, losing the land that God had promised them. And the whole point of this is to say, you know what? Yahweh, the God of Israel, can be trusted with your greatest needs. He can be trusted with your littlest needs. And Davis says as much as it comes here, look at what a great God you have in him, that he cares about every part of the lives of you, his people. It's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 10, right? That the Father numbers the very head, the very hairs on your heads. And for those of you who don't have hair on your heads anymore, he, he knows all the skin cells, right? He knows every part of each one of us, of every part of us, comprehensively, that his care is comprehensive for you, his people. Where do you need to know today that the care of a sovereign and loving God is for every part of your life, that it's comprehensive, that there, uh, unlike some of our uh, health insurance plans or car insurance plans, right, there's no gaps in God's coverage, what encourages you about that today? Where do you need to lean in to the comprehensive care of God for you as his child? And go back maybe to the last time that you struggled 
with an ordinary life situation. And think about maybe how would that situation have been different if you'd have taken that to the Lord and sought his help in those circumstances. So the conclusion to this scene is to take heart that God offers you help in the details of your ordinary life. Let's take this to our, the last scene we're going to look at. It's the scene that I skipped over before. We're going to kind of rewind the tape. Uh, for those of you in an older generation with me, I don't know if you all remember when you would check out a video from the video store, you'd rewind the tape right before you turned it back in. The kids have no idea. All the streaming stuff and everything, um, it's, just, it, it's crazy, right? But we're going to rewind the tape uh, back to verses 3 and 4 in, in light of where this passage has landed. And, and it's, it, it's really significant that Elisha went with the sons of the prophets, right? So Elisha performs this miracle. The axe head floats up. The axe head that's lost has been found. And it's all possible providentially because Elisha responded to the request of the sons of the prophets to go with them. God was at work to meet the needs of his people before they ever even asked for those needs to be met. God has been at work to meet your needs, and he's at work even now before you've even asked. Uh, a, story, a story was told in the commentaries of President Reagan, uh, the assassination attempt on his life in 1981, and apparently uh, the bullet stopped about an inch from Reagan's heart. And one of the reasons that the bullet stopped an inch from Reagan's heart was because uh, his muscles were so tight in his chest and in his stomach. And apparently Reagan's doctor had been getting on to him for a number of years about exercising his chest and his abs too much. And they said, hey, you know, like, eventually your body's going to overcompensate in response to having too much strength up here, and you end up with uh, another injury, or something like a hernia. But providentially, it was the fact that his muscles were so tight that it slowed down the bullet, and it was part of what ended up saving his life. And of course, that's like a, you know, a bigger life circumstance, right? It's not an ordinary life circumstance. But I wonder what the ordinary circumstances are, whether in your story as a Christian, whether uh, in a recent part of your life experience, we can look back and say, you know what? The reason that that happened was because God did something else in his providence previously that set it up for this to happen this way. I feel like a, a lot of times this is going to happen sometimes in financial circumstances. You think about uh, people moving and multiple houses trying to sell at the same time. But what's a recent situation where you've been able to know, you've been able to sense by faith, you know what, like we land here because of something else that God did. And now we can see more completely what, what God's plan for us was. If you, if you can't tell those stories, ask God to, to give you a clearer sense of how is his providence, how is his sovereignty working to bring the details of your life together uh, for your good and for the good of others as God uses you in their lives. Because I think so often those are some of the best stories we have as believers to share uh, with non-Christians and to encourage each other with or to be able to show, yeah, this is how we can see. It's not just coincidence. This is a God thing. This is something that only God in his sovereignty can do. And so the, the conclusion of this section is that there's an invitation to pursue an awareness of how God is at work in the details of your life. And that leads us to the, the conclusion of this passage. Right? The, the main point of this passage is that God shows his greatness in little so trust him with the little things of your life. God 
shows his greatness in little things. So trust him with the little things of your life. Three quick points of application as we wrap up. I know this. The graveyard of preachers. Three quick points as we end. But I promise. The first one is to trust God because he's the God of axe heads and incarnation. Trust him because he's the God of axe heads and incarnation. God is a God who gets down in the nitty-gritty of your life in my life. He cares about axe heads. He sent his son to come as a baby, as a toddler, as a little boy who trained to be a carpenter, who walked around as a rabbi with dust between his toes, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and bringing our salvation. God cares about the ordinary nitty-gritty of your life. Trust him with needs of every size by turning to him. Trust him with needs of every size by turning to him. Uh, Turn away from your substitutes for him. What are the substitutes where uh, you try to deal with things on your own? You rely on your pride, your desire to control, your desire to be in charge, uh, soothing your addiction or your, your worry or your anxiety with addiction. What are the ways that you're substituting for trusting God with the ordinary things of your life? Ask for his wisdom. Uh, a lot of times with my kids, as we have, uh, we have a flare-up at home or somebody's fighting over a toy, or somebody's disappointed, we, my wife and I try to honor their feelings, but also to ask them, is this a big deal or a little deal? Right? Is this a big deal or a little deal? Sometimes you and I, even as we grow up and we move along in adulthood and we move to the end of our lives, we need God's help sometimes, his wisdom to know, is this a big deal or a little deal? How, how much weight and importance do I need to place on this situation or that situation? Trust him with needs of every size by asking for his intervention. Appeal to him for his help. When was the last time you prayed to God uh, when you lost your keys and you're, on your, and you're late on your way to a meeting? So often I've, I've had those situations and I get frustrated when said, you know, the situation changes. Even if I don't immediately find my keys, the situation changes when you, bring, you open yourself to God's power being at work in that situation. But finally, trust him by resting in his comprehensive care. Trust him by resting in his comprehensive care. Uh, On this day of rest and resurrection joy, I have an invitation to remember that God knows all of your details better than you do. And I don't know where you're at in life today. I don't know what is weighing on your heart and mind as you're looking to the upcoming week, the upcoming weeks. The invitation of this passage is that in Jesus, you have a God who, in Jesus, who's the greater prophet, even than Elisha, that in him you have a God who cares for every detail of your life, who is sovereign over the details, who loves you, who pursues you, who is interceding for you, and who one day is going to also take account of the lost axe heads, the missing axe heads in your story. The things that were lost, whether those were little deals or bigger deals that were never found. And if you're wondering today, well, how can you believe in, in God, in a good God, when in all the details of all these people's lives throughout history, and some of you here today, you've known abuse, you've known wickedness, you've known trauma and hurt. The ultimate answer is that Jesus, who is greater than Elijah, came to die for the sins of his people on a cross, and that in that cross and in the victorious resurrection of Jesus, we have the demonstration, the proof that God loves us, that God is at work in the world, that one day God is going to make everything new, that one day God will wipe away every tear from the eyes of his people, that one day every lost axe head will be accounted for. Look to him and rest in his care today. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your care for us, uh, that you know us exhaustively, uh, and that you uh, invite us to experience your love just the same. Help us to entrust to you the details of our hearts and lives today. Do what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.